Welcome to For the Love of Jewelers, a podcast connecting people engaged in the craft and industry of jewelry making. Brought to you by Rio Grande Jewelry Supplies and hosted by yours truly, Courtney Gray, founder of Creative Side Jewelry Academy in Austin, Texas. I'm honored and excited to take you on this journey to discover not only the how, but why we make jewelry. My goal is to not only inform you, but to empower you by sharing the passion, perspective, and perseverance of your fellow makers and professionals in all facets of the craft. Let's dive in. Tim McWright is a designer, teacher, author, and metalsmith. He received a BA from the College of Worcester and a Master of Fine Arts degree from Bowling Green State University. Tim taught full-time for 25 years. He has written two dozen books, produced a half dozen videos, and created apps for mobile devices. He runs a publishing company called Bryn Morgan Press. In 2014, he made his first trip to West Africa, traveling with a Canadian jeweler who was working on a book about the artist there. In response to what they found on that trip, Tim and Matthew Shimonea founded a nonprofit organization called the Toolbox Initiative. Follow their journey and find out how you can give through them at toolboxinitiative.org. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of For the Love of Jewelers. We have Mr. Tim McCright here and we are at the hotel in Chicago. Where are we? We're at the Pair... Palmer. The Palmer, Palmer House in Chicago, Illinois. I'm lost in this hotel. It's at this huge. night conference. It's huge, confusing. Con- it's a beautiful hotel. It's a beautiful. I think it's been added on to many times over the years. And it is it's pretty. It's become labyrinthine. I feel like we're in an opera house, somewhat. Yeah, the ballroom and everything. Yeah. yeah. So we're honored to have you here with us, Tim. Thank and you. there's so many things that I want to share with the community, um, the conversations that we've had in the past, and the things you've accomplished, and the, the things you brought to the craft. And um, there's too many to cover, probably in one sitting, so we'll call this part one. Okay. <laughs> there's always more time, right? Um, so talk to me a little bit and talk to us about, um, I don't know, tell us a little bit about your journey, what brought you to become the writer of The Complete Metal Smith. If you guys haven't seen Tim McCright's publishing company, is called Bren Morgan Press. He has so many books. I would, I would say they're some of the best in the industry that are out there. And you vet those yourself, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and make sure. Tell us a little bit about Bren Morgan. Um, well, let's see, Bren Morgan... I guess the whole story would be, well, not the whole story. Um, I went to college, uh, went to a liberal arts college called the College of Worcester in Ohio. Um, this was in late 60s, early 70s, um, kind of hippie era. I was interested in lots of things, so I was a sociology major, and then I wasn't, and then I was a history major, and then I wasn't, and then I was a philosophy major, and then I wasn't, and I was an English major, and then I wasn't. <laughs> and uh, so it got to be toward the end of school, and... Um, it turned out that my counselor, whoever it was, said, you know, kid, you don't have enough concentrated credits to graduate. You know, you have to have, you know, enough to be a major. And I had been sort of treating myself to art courses, um, taking the, uh, you know, in hindsight it was kind of silly, but at the time it felt grown up that I was, you know, studying real stuff. And then I would take an art course kind of to relax. And so I ended up having more art courses than anything else. Mm. There was a the very small department, four teachers, I think. Um, so it was, you know, intro to painting, intro to drawing, intro to, to uh, printmaking and and sculpture. And I ended up um, 
enjoying sculpture the most and got along with that teacher the most. And at that college, there was something called independent study, which was a big part of the senior year. And I asked my teacher, Sufi Ahmed, if he would supervise me in an independent study in jewelry. And he said, I don't know anything about it. So, sure. And it really was a, an excellent um, fork in the road, I guess, or an excellent uh, stars aligning because um, Sufi gave me freedom. And I think if I, if I, there are other people if I'd studied with, I might have locked horns with or just not, I, I, I wasn't a good student. I think I'm more uh, self-started. Yeah. <laughs> and so. It's hard to teach um, a teacher sometimes. Yeah. Maybe that was it, you know. Uh, so anyway, for whatever, uh, whether it was good or bad, that's the way it happened that I ended up um, teaching myself what, what I could. And there was no, no studio or anything. There was no, I didn't know what a saw frame was. I didn't, I just worked from scratch and taught myself what I could and then graduated as uh, an art, as a major in sculpture, actually, and uh, knew I wanted to learn more. That really, I just graduated from college and said, oh, now I know what I want to learn. And um, what I should have done in hindsight was go to college again, go to an art school, go to a jewelry school, head of a jewelry program. But I didn't, I thought you have to just keep climbing the ladder. So I'd finished college. So the next step was graduate school. So I went to graduate school, um, did two and a half years there. Um, graduated with an MFA, and I still haven't taken a jewelry class ever in my life. Um, so what happened was I found myself saying, okay, the the system, if you will, says you're qualified. I had degrees, but I didn't know much, and I knew I wanted to teach. I think I knew I wanted to teach since I was 10 years old. I didn't know what I was going to teach, but I think. And um, so I discovered that uh, I was in a position where I said, I gotta, I've got to learn more stuff, and I can't afford to go to school anymore. Um, I was married at that point. We had a, a young daughter, and um, so I uh, realized that uh, I could, if, if I could write a book, if I could get a contract to write a book, it would help me learn things. It would give me the discipline to learn things and maybe provide a little extra income. I just couldn't go back to school, and I need to have some money. So mm. uh, I was doing some commission, some uh, uh, tried commission work, and did a little, but didn't love it. Um, did some production work. Um, you know, just like most people Exploring. in the craft do, especially when you're young, you do a little bit of everything. Right. And I was, and to get back to your original question, so that led to a book. Mm. My my experience talking to other people is you, uh, people either write one book or several books. It's either something that they take to or uh, or they just hate it. I'm not doing I'll that never, again. never, ever do that again. <laughs> right. Uh, and I was obviously in the former category. So I did a book, and... Uh, Sold it. Or I, I was it was uh, contracted with a New York City publisher, and got it finished. And um, I, I didn't know how this works. So I guess most people don't. But they they specified we want this book. We want it to be this size, this shape. It's going to have this many drawings and so on. And, and you know, do you want to do that? Well, I'd take anything. So I said sure. But I got done. And while it was a valuable learning experience, uh, that wasn't a book that that reflected what I wanted to learn or how I wanted to teach. And at this point, I'd gotten a teaching job, and so um, I, I conceived a book that really came from my point of view, from working at the bench, as opposed to from a publisher's point of view. Right. And that was The Complete Metalsmith. Mm. And um, mm -hmm. the first book was frustrating to me because things that were outside of my control um, went wrong. I can make my own mistakes. I don't need help, you know, from somebody else. So uh, that right. was that was frustrating. So the reason the, the original Complete Metalsmith was all handwritten, and it, it wasn't because I loved that style, mm. though that was kind of a trendy thing, this, you know, again, post-hippie days, but um, it was really so I could have control over it. 
So I, I hand wrote and, and laid out the book and, and delivered it as finished pages mm. to a company called Davis Press. And that was the, the first one, an in, in small book, uh, orange cover, spiral bound. Was that more the student version, or was it still the Well, it wasn't such, that was the version. That yeah, was it was the, the one. version. Yeah, that was the one. Um, and it went through some transitions, and, it went through and this, now it is what yeah, it is. Now, yeah, now there's a different one later on. So you ask about Bryn Morgan, so I'll just say that uh, I, I did that book with a big company, and then I, did an, uh, I, I proposed another book, um, which was called Practical Casting. And the original notion of Complete Metalsmith was that each chapter in that book would become its own would go into more depth in a separate book. So there'd be a new book, a book, mm. f there were like eight or nine chapters and each one <clears throat> would be its own book. And the first, it didn't, that didn't happen, a couple of them did, and that one was practical casting. So I had made this proposal to the same publisher and they said, yeah, sounds good, we'll send you a contract. And, and it went on month after month and uh, just um, carelessness. I mean, I think we, we're, we're all friends, it just right. they didn't do it and it gave me time and I thought, well, shoot, maybe I'll try it. And so that's where Bryn Morgan came from. Got it. You're so, like, let me uh, just do this myself. So I created a company. Mm -hmm. um, my wife came up with the name. Um, so my, we have two kids, and the middle name is uh, Bryn and Morgan, a uh, girl it. and a boy. And uh, oh. so that's where the name came from. All right. Yeah. And so you guys are also doing um, streaming. Well, you're streaming the books now, right? Or well, making them uh, downloadable? Di digital, yeah. Yeah, digital. Um, yeah. Yeah. Is that every so, book? Or? Yeah, that's that's been a real good thing for me, according uh, yeah. to for I think for all of us. I'd like to say for all of us, um, the a lot of big changes in, uh, technologically in the publishing industry, um, mm -hmm. and one of them is that it's uh, it used to be you really had to uh, have a big run, you know, ten thousand books before you could justify the cost of printing. Um, I think, and you're the musician, but I, I think it's maybe analogous to like cutting records or you know making CDs. That there mm -hmm. used to be, you had to have, you had to be with a house, you know, and so there were lots of, I'm sure, great bands in the 50s and 60s and 70s who never, will never hear of them again because they didn't right. get the record label mm -hmm. uh, behind yeah. them. And nowadays, you know, you can make a CD. Anybody for you know with a hundred bucks or something, you can probably make your own CD. Well, something similar or analogous has happened in, in the publishing world and technologically so you can print smaller editions but it still is it's in the thousands of dollars to uh, to to print a book um, so there unfortunately it just there are financial decisions that get made and say you know we just can't afford to we don't think the market will support another thousand or two thousand books and um, that's why I'm a big fan. That's one of the reasons I'm a big fan of digital public publishing because books that would otherwise just die right. are now uh, I can make them into digital. So yes, I do all our books in digital as, as well as print. I personally am a huge fan of digital. I, I, I friends loan me a book and I read the first chapter and if I like it, I return the book and I buy it. And oh really? So I can read it digitally. And it works. That. It works for you. There's it works for me. Still a lot of people who like to hold. Oh that yeah, book. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's. I mean, it's still the biggest part of my business. So mm. um, you mm -hmm. know, I'm not telling people to stop buying books on paper. <laughs> Guys, if you if you don't have a copy of the Complete Metal Smith, I I think well, it's probably what put you on the map as a writer. Would you say, Tim? Uh, probably so. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we use it at Creative Side all the time in the classroom, and now we're actually going to be making it part of our our kits so for an introduction you know somebody getting introduced to the craft what i love about it is the diagrams they are so clean they're so easy to read and it's i don't know it's i hate to use the word layman it's like real simple simplified so. techniques yeah. Yeah. yeah and that was the goal was to make it accessible uh, and i think what for me the the concept that distinguished that book from others is that i approach it from the point of view of the material 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so most most books are set up um, kind of on a beginning, simple to more advanced. You know, we're going to if it's a you know whatever the thing is, we're going to show a simple technique, and then the one that follows from that, and the one that follows from that, and follow. And the the notion of that book was. Um, to take what's happening to the metal. Is it being bent? Is it being cut? Is it being colored? And whatever falls under that category goes into that chapter. Mm. So um, that the, it's, it's, I guess you'd say it's more mechanically put together. It's put together with a more of a mechanical sensibility, yeah. I guess. And again, I'm really thinking kind of like if the metal were, if, a, if, if silver was writing this, you know, right. uh, if it's coming from the metal's point of view. So it's a, it's a kind of a different way to approach things. And, I like and that. I'd, I'd like to think that it, it's a little less tied to a technique or a style. Yeah. If, if you say, I'm going to teach you how to saw, inevitably, which I, I've written books like this too. And so you say, okay, so here's my sample and I'm going to saw. And you can't unthink that. So, okay, I, in that example, I saw it in organic shape. And now you pick it up, and you go, what am I going to saw? Hmm, all of a sudden I feel like sawing out an organic shape, you know? It's just, right. it's subliminal. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm obviously overstating it, over, uh, but to, to avoid that, my, my, my goal is to avoid that and say, you know, it's just a tool, and mm-hmm. I don't want to tell you, I don't want to accidentally tell you what the tool does. That's between you and the tool. You know, right. you need to figure that out, and I need to get out of the way. Oh, that's really interesting, yeah. When you come to, we've come twice now to Creative Side. We're so lucky and um, love having you there in Austin. It's a blast. You teach with really simple, um, a a very simplified approach. Like, we don't need a million tools for your class. You know, we it doesn't seem like you're you require a lot. It's like Courtney, you got a file and a saw. We got a class. Yeah, (laughs) pretty much that. And if you don't have a saw, you know, we'll figure it out. We'll We'll make a chisel. (laughs) We'll make that work too. Yeah. Well, there's no question. That's you know, I, 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 I'm not like I, I don't want to plead poverty, um, but I, I certainly didn't start my career saying, okay, I've got $500 in the bank and I'm going to go buy tools. And there's also an element of, uh, you know, Yankee frugalism. You know, why should I buy this if I can make it? Mm-hmm. And having done that a couple times, that was kind of fun making that. I kind of like that, and that so uh, it's all of a piece in that. Um, making a tool is more intimate. It tends to be cheaper. Uh, it tends to teach me something along the way. Oh, that's why the handle is rounded. Mm-hmm. You know, I could buy it and it would be rounded, and I would just take that for granted. But when I make it, and I'm actually filing it, I say, oh, that didn't work until I make it rounded and whatever. So, it's uh, I like the idea of starting the process as early in the sequence as as is feasible. I mean, I don't mine silver and I don't you know refine ore. Um, but I pour ingots. I prefer to do that, mm. um, and I don't have a rolling mill. I, I prefer to hammer things out, mm. just because uh, I'm doing it for the pleasure of the process. And for me, and this is I'm not a production jeweler, right? But for me, there's no reason to streamline the process. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. It's your approach is a. It's not as common, I would say. I don't know. It's pretty unique. I love the way that you you put that together, though. Um, do you feel like you had to to give something up or compromise your work in any way over the years to get where you are? Or to no, no, not at all. No, I just and, and I, I I have an insta that's that's an easy an easy answer because I just don't even know what that would look like. Yeah, I just you know I, do I look back? I, I mean I guess having never thought about this before, I'm sitting here and thinking, uh, 
you know, can I look back and think, boy, that really pissed me off, or, you know, that was a time when I was really into doldrums because I had to do this or that, mm. and I just don't, it might have happened, but I've forgotten about it. <laughs> my, I, I'm kind of notorious for, for letting uh, it go. Letting it go. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I have that question come up. It's like, you know, I, I want to make the work that I love, or I want to do what I love, and I'm having to, I feel like I have to sacrifice this or that or the other to get where, where I feel like I need to be. Um, yeah, you don't strike me as a very money-focused person. How much do you work from your intuition, and, and how much would you say is like logical, coming from the logical place? Uh, that's an interesting thing. The it's an interesting question only because um, I, I really have a couple f things going on in my life. I mean, it, my uh, not in equal portions, but if we look back over the last twenty or thirty years, I have spent my time and made my money through A, teaching, B, metalwork, and C, publishing. Um, and actually that would be C1, writing, and C2, publishing. And that is writing, creating my own books and publishing other people's books. And so of those, uh, of those three areas, um, what was the question again? <laughs> Well, I, yeah, it just it doesn't seem like you've ever been very focused on Yeah, on so oh, I know, in logical because yeah. in the in the publishing piece of it, it's pretty logical. I think I think one of the reasons I like making books is well, I, I like making books because it um gives me an opportunity to, to create a structure, you know. This comes before that and this has to fit in the middle between this and that and so on. That's, you know, building an outline, finding where the pieces go together. And that's also why uh, part of, the, uh, of what I enjoy about teaching is structuring a class. Um, here's the things I want to cover. What can we make in order to, to touch these five techniques and uh, which of those techniques comes first and, and where do we start and where do we end, all of that. So that, sound, that all sounds pretty left brain structural. Right. When it comes to the bench, it's just pretty much of a flip-flop. Yeah. Like, um, I, tell you, I, I like to think that I'm responsive to the metal. I kind of feel like it's a partnership. Mm -hmm. That I, I um, if I, and I think this is, this is an evolution I can kind of track when I look back. N again, none of this, uh, I'm not that smart that I knew what was going on, but I can look back and say, you know, that at first it was, I was the boss, you know, and, so, and, and it was, probably insecurity as much as anything or you know it, and that's just not a bad thing I wanted to learn technique and I said okay I want to be able to saw a straight line I want to show that I'm in charge of this saw saw doesn't get to make its own comments today you know I'm in charge of this and that's an important thing to do and you know by extension I can file I can solder I can set a stone I can I can do this stuff mm -hmm. and you know I'm so I'm in charge and that was valuable to get to the point say okay I do have confidence in my technical skills um, then I was able to say, okay, what do I want to do with these skills? And it's like, um, uh, I think the metal is the metal in the saw in the file have some some real wonderful things to bring to the party, and I'm I'm shallow and I'm missing a lot if I if I don't let them in. Yeah. So and that's been more in the last half of my career than the first. That so I can be intuitive and I can say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit this with a hammer, and then I'm gonna see what happens, and the next move is gonna be. Determined in, by in, that. Determined by that, exactly. Last move. Where, do you, where do you get this use of your words? Was your mom or dad, were they like, uh, do you have an influence, would you say, as far as language goes? Um, pr probably so. Um, my father is a pastor, so he's a public oh, speaker. Oh, yeah. 
Um, and um, my mother was a high school English teacher, so there might be some reflection there. My mom was a college English teacher. Oh, yeah? Uh-huh. English literature, yeah, uh-huh. for 30 years she yeah. taught. And boy, did I get corrected. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I also, I, I mean, I'm happy to credit them, but I'm just, I've always been fascinated with language. And, yeah. um, Your use of words is really uh, lovely and just, well, thank yeah, you. It, it helps paint a picture, I guess, when you're describing a technique or an experience with metal. It feels like you're talking about another person, and mm. I lo- I've always loved that about you. Mm. <laughs> So curious about words, always had a passion for words. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. still, I'm always, it's a, probably it's not a day goes by that I don't look up the meaning of some word or the origin of some word. Do you? Yeah, well, yeah. I need to start I doing that. I have a copy of the Oxford English Dictionary on my desk. That's a great the, idea. It's a, you, you know, that, that not, the, not the condensed one, the two-volume. The complete? The complete, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, the complete, <laughs> you might say. No, the OED is, uh, um, you know, I have to put on optimizers to read it. Oh, it's, wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a big thing. I'm going to start doing that for my boys, too. Yeah. Like, let, yeah. Let's learn a new word every day. Words yeah. are fabulous. Yeah. They do help us uh, paint those pictures, I think. Um, let's see. I want to talk to you a little bit, too, Tim, about we, you know, we admire you. Thank you for the book. It's it's such a useful tool for so many people. Um, but I'm sure we could talk all day about that, and you may be tired of it. I don't know. <laughs> Like, quit asking me about the book, everybody. <laughs> yes, I wrote a book. Um, well, I, before we move off of publishing, though, what do you, what, do you have any suggestions for, for those out there who might have an idea for something, for a book that Bryn Morgan Press might carry? And what would you, can you advise everybody on what you're looking for in a writer or in a publication? Um, yeah, if I can rephrase the, the question just a little bit. Please do. Um, I'm running out of words. <laughs> we, need your, we need your words. Um, well, a question that comes up, I, I am approached periodically by friends who will say, you know, I got this idea for a book, you know, can we talk about that? And um, what I have discovered, because it's kind of a conversation that I've had uh, multiple times, and, I, and I've come to realize that the best way to start for me is why? You know, what's the purpose here? What's the audience? And... Um, and there's there's not a right or wrong answer, but what comes next really depends on that answer. Mm. So if somebody says, you know, well, I I, I want to make some money, fine, good luck. You know, that that that's going to cast things in a certain direction. And um, if somebody says, no, I I just want to want to share this information, okay, that's also a, a good one, and and so on. And of course, there are multiple. An- you're allowed multiple answers, you know, but it's even a priority. You know, I, I want to share my information, mm-hmm. and it'd be nice to make a little money. Okay, how important? Which is the more important part there? Yeah. And so, with with given all of that, um, it's probably fair to say most, well, most valuable books are written first from the passion of the writer, and second with a focus on an audience. Obviously, a huge statement, you know, thousands of books, but um, uh, it seems like in my experience. So, um, I I will say when somebody says, Yeah, I want to make money, I want, you know, I know my neighbor, he wrote a book and he made a lot of money, and I want to do that too. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually, that's probably the long, that's the hard way to do it. Well, I think it comes down to intention, you know, and that's, that's true across the board in life. I have to remind myself of that a lot. It's like, you know, oh, I'm, I get to go and you know be with my peers, and they're they're going to see me doing this, and it's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> that's not what this is about. Right. You know, that's ego, I think, too. And yeah, we do need to make money, and we need to make a living, but you know, hopefully, if our intention is in the right place, 
it mm-hmm. sounds like what you're you're sharing with us yeah. a little bit. Too. Well, and if there is, uh, for instance, in in my case, um, still, but even more particularly in the early years of my career, I needed to learn something, and I just I needed a discipline. I was teaching full time and mm. doing other things, so I I I. I needed the discipline of, for instance, um, making a book so I could, I, I could say, okay, I need to you know, do the research, then do the studio experimentation, and then test it, and then write it, and then test the writing, and go through that process. And so I was going to win no matter what. That was my, my first feeling. It's like, okay, if I make this book, it has satisfied my first desire, that my first intention that I need to learn this material. Mm-hmm. And if it is then something that's marketable, that's gravy, you know. That's a bonus, and that's that's been the case. And some of my books have done well and made money, and others have not. And I don't consider any of them a, a failure. Yeah, they've all had something to teach me, and I've learned something both about the technical aspect, but also about publishing and selling and all the rest of it. Uh, I'll just I'll just quote a, a friend. Um, Monica Wood is a an accomplished novelist, and she was asked a very similar question on a radio call-in show last week, and I was listening. And she, she very, really almost the same thing because she said people come up and they say, you know, how do I get published? And she said, what I usually uh, do is substitute the word, um, how do I find an audience? And she said, for instance, she gave an example. She said, there's a guy who writes beautiful stuff. It's sort of in a memoir, and he, um, he, he wants to share his stories. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's therapeutic or it's you know uh, cathartic or it's whatever it is for him it's, it has a personal benefit for him people love his story he's a very accomplished writer he's, he's great and he does it all online mm-hmm. it's all uh, the equivalent of a podcast or it's not spoken it's written right. um, and she said she's got hundreds of followers maybe thousands and so he's found his audience and there's very little cost involved so mm-hmm. he didn't really want to get published I mean, the word published has to do with public being out there in the public and he wanted to get in the public, mm. he didn't want it to. He didn't need to make a physical book. That wasn't the point. Right. Uh, so I think that's uh, audience. You know, find find your audience, and then things fall from follow along from that mm, and fall into place. Yeah, so. or use that as your guide. Yeah. Yeah, that's the first step. And nice. Uh, yeah. That's good advice. Um, do you do a lot of metalworking anymore? When even up outside um, of teaching a little bit? And uh, not a lot. No, yeah. I have a I have a studio. Um, that's uh, I have a physical space that is not the building I live in and in that space I have the computer and scanners and so on where I put books together mm. and I have um, I, up until last year I always kept all the warehouse of books there so all the shipping happened from there uh, I've recently changed that and um, then there's a, a, a jewelry shop yeah. so such as it is, uh, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. have. You would you would recognize it as a jeweler shop, but there's you know there's no rolling mill and there's uh, basic there's no simple. forge. It's it's kind of small, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, what I find is probably, if not every day, so several times a week, I'll be working at the bench. Nice. But it's not a body of work. It's it's often, for instance, when I'm teaching a workshop, you know, I do I prep work, mm. I do some samples and so on. Um, I get inspired. Um, mm-hmm. Right right now, I'm working on a book. Well, uh, Matthew Chamonix has has written a book on stamping that I'm publishing, and so um, it's it's inspiring to me to work on the images and see what he's doing. And also, he'll he'll say, you know, do this and this and this, and mm-hmm. I'll say, really, does that work? And so I go into the shop and I do it, and I say, yeah, that's just what he said. Or, no, I I get it now. I didn't understand his phrasing, but now having just gone through it, so I try mm-hmm. to test things. You're like quality control for them. Yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense. Uh, that goes back to the complete metalsmith. When I when I started that 
project, I said, um, I wanted to, if, if somebody came up to me on the street or at a SNAG conference and said, uh, you know that thing on page 82, I tried that and it didn't work. I wanted to look them in the eye and say, I'm sorry to hear it, but it worked for me. Mm -hmm. I wanted to, I didn't want anything in the book to be something that I couldn't personally verify. Yeah. Well, that's called so. credibility. <laughs> you know, you put your stamp on it, right? Yeah. Um, it needs to be correct, and mm -hmm. uh, that's that shows a lot of integrity. Yeah. Can I give you some sh super quick questions? Sure. Don't think, just answer. Lightning round. You ready? Uh, most inspired part of the day for you to work? Probably morning. Morning time. Yeah, you know, I tend to early bird. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, pretty much. Whether yeah. I want to or not, so I guess that's why I answer it that way. Because it's like, yeah, that's that's what uh, nature calls. You know. Um, you and I talked about routine. I'm going to pause and reflect on this for a second. Last time you visited Austin, you mentioned something to me. Um, I was telling you about a uh, a habit or something that I was was having a hard time sleeping and getting to bed on mm -hmm. time. And you go, well, go change that tonight. You know, and I thought, this is a guy who's got self-control. <laughs> Just go change that, Courtney. What do you, th yeah. you know, why are you complaining about it? Just go and make the change. Uh, Sounds rude. <laughs> no, it was, it was in a loving way. It was okay. like, take care of yourself, change yeah. that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, we can expand on that more because I, I do... I do think that that's important to, you know, it, just make the change. Uh, I, I, you know, I will say, though, um, that's like 100 degrees, 180 degrees different from what it was when I was a younger person. I used to, mm. I remember in graduate school particularly, I had classes all day and I was a teaching assistant or teaching fellow, whatever they called it. Um, and um, I would um, come home, you know, at the end of the day, my wife was working for the university and we'd come home, we'd make dinner, we'd maybe go for a walk or whatever and, you know, watch TV and then go to bed. And she'd fall asleep and I'd say, I'm, I'm up. And I'd walk to the studio, which was a couple blocks away. And that would be, you know, 10, 30 or 11. And I would work you know, through into the early hours. Yeah. Um, and that was a pretty easy thing to do. It was just a normal thing to do. Pre and then I, I can kind of vaguely remember, I don't know when, but there was a period when I would be doing that and saying, okay, the mistakes I'm going to make between 1 and 3 o'clock in the morning, mm -hmm. I'm going to have to fix between 8 and 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. So like, okay, maybe this isn't working anymore. Right, yeah. You know, well, and so then kids come along. With it. Yeah, right. That's right. a whole other, other yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lifestyle. So you feel like that shifted for you? Yeah, point? yeah, I think yeah. It, it is what it is. Um, okay, back to our, our fat, what do we call it? The lightning round. The lightning round. Um, favorite room in your house to work? I, I have create. an office. I have an office in Just the house. Your yeah. brain room where you go in and... Yeah. 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 Um, biggest strength that you have in your own eyes? Oh, gosh. I know. Putting you right on the spot, Tim. Yeah. Luckily, we can edit. <laughs> Insert long pause. <laughs> yes. Um, I guess there's a certain amount of, of confidence. Um and it, my my wife who's uh, my wife has sometimes said you know i don't know how you do that you know you just decided you're going to publish a book and you track down a publisher or a printer in asia and you you know figure out the rules and everything and i thought oh, yeah you just what's what you do mm -hmm. um so it, it doesn't seem to me like a strength but i guess other people would say you know throw up their hands and say gee i don't know how to do that and 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 never do it and then they don't do it Fearless. Yeah. Fearless. That's yeah, it. Uh, in many ways, I'm fearful, but I guess in certain ways, I guess I'm not. 
I can relate to fearless. Yeah. Yeah, I bet you can. Yeah, and not not being afraid to get a no, <coughs> or uh, like you said earlier, fail at something. It's you know yeah. kind of a common theme with the conversations I've been having with other artists is mm. that you know that failure word. It's such a big one, but it's like you know what? That's part of the process. Yeah, exactly. Keep throwing darts. Like keep trying new things, and yeah, you're gonna get some no's. Yeah. You can't get all yeses. That just doesn't. Nobody wins the lottery 100% of the time. You know, um, maybe that's a bad analogy, but. Um, yeah, fearlessness. Well, there's that quote that's uh, attributed to Edison. I don't know if it's accurate, but uh, something like, you know, Mr. Edison, aren't you frustrated you, you haven't found the right filament for your light bulb? And he said, no, but I've found a thousand things that don't work. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so you make it into a positive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And part of the, um, oh, yes, you shared a really good one last time that now one of my teachers is like all she can say, don't forget what Tim McCrite says, don't forget, you know, she's... And it really helped her. I think you got through to her and um, was trust the process. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, because yeah. it is. It's all life. I don't own that. That's, uh, that's wide, wise words that have come to me from friends. So. Yeah, yeah. Did you have a, like a, someone you can identify as a mentor? or I'm sure you've had quite a few, but um, someone who influenced you maybe the most? I'll, I'll, I want to give uh, kudos to Sufi. Sufi Ahmed was my teacher in college, and... Um, I, I think he was special because, uh, well, because he was a special guy, but in my relationship with him, like I say, he was the one who said, yeah, you can do jewelry, and, you mm -hmm. know, I don't know anything about it. Um, two things I remember specifically, two, two moments. Um, one is uh, I would come to him with a piece of finished jewelry. I'd, I had a shop in my apartment, rented apartment, and so I would make a couple pieces, and then I'd come and... and deliver them, you know, like a puppy bringing a sock, you know, and um, he would put it in like a ring or a pendant or something, he'd put it in his hand uh -huh. and close his hand over it and, and either look up to the sky or just close his eyes and he would, he would examine the piece in his fingers. And, without and looking at it. Without yeah. looking at it. And wow. that was really powerful for me, remains powerful for me, and partly it was because he was a shape person, he was a sculptor himself, but also he he would be very candid and say, you know, is it a good solder joint? Mm -hmm. I don't know. So, I mean, he would ask me, you know, is this, is, does this pin back work? Because he wasn't trained in those kinds of things. And so he could acknowledge that instead of pretending to kind of say, oh, I don't know if this pin back is right. You know, he was just, oh, don't talk to me about pin backs. That's, I don't know pin backs. So you're on your own there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was, um, th there's a double lesson there. And I remember one time I did do a, a large sculpture, um, it was an outdoor piece, and um, it was like 10 feet tall, maybe, uh, iron and concrete. And um, I asked him, I, I put it all together. I was finished on, finished with it, and I brought it out. And uh, I brought him out, rather, to the courtyard where it was. And um, he walked around, and then he walked around the opposite direction. And then he walked around one more time, and then he stood beside me, and, and he put his hand on my shoulder. He mm -hmm. just patted me on the shoulder and he walked away. <laughs> I'm kind of getting choked up because yeah. that was that was the nicest thing he could have said. Wow. Kind of nodded yeah. and gave wow. me that. Yeah. Simple acknowledgement of just yeah yeah like, you're doing good yeah yeah okay got it. And you pass that on, I'm sure, to your kids and just that that's that's the type of influence that shapes us, I think, as people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. We're lucky we get to have a, you know have those experiences. Mm -hmm. Look, and we hopefully surround ourselves with people who are 
good influences. Right. <laughs> Is there any habit that you're working towards altering? Um, trying to get outdoors a little bit more. Yeah. Um, that'd be good. Yeah. Maybe uh, uh, eat and drink um, only uh, enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to being human. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. Um, other hand, well, yeah, I, 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 I don't know if I want to say this in public, but too late now. Um, mm-hmm. I rush to judgment in my head. I hope I at least don't speak it uh, much. But I, you know, I see something and I think, oh, look at that, and I think, well, oh, back mm-hmm. off, man. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're we're judgmental creatures, though. It's yeah. very human. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it is, and it's 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 a necessary part. There's a, yeah. a quote from oh gosh, somebody in the 17th century. It's like well, I, it really stuck with me. It's just, um, see, with without the aid of prejudice and bias, I wouldn't be able to find my way across the room. Mm. Which is you're always seeking for your tribe. It's an animal thing. You yeah. know, if you're a squirrel, you're tuned into the other squirrels around first. You know, well, you're probably tuned into predators first. You know, right? Um, and that's I mean, we're we're past that, but there is that mm. that aspect of it. And it's not we think of prejudice in a negative way. It doesn't mean that it's it's prejudging. It just means I look around, and um, and you, if you if you picture yourself, you're at the airport mm-hmm. and you're looking for a seat, you know, waiting for your plane, right? Mm-hmm. And you look around your prejudices are at work and they're not a bad thing you're saying well that guy over there is um is is barking into his cell phone right i don't think i'll go over there and there's a bunch of of probably business guys in suits over there and they're they're talking a certain way and you know you look around and you say okay there's i think i'm going to go over there i'm going to that's where i'm going to sit mm. that's not a bad thing it's uh, it's necessary it's discernment but it can become yeah. it's i guess it's it depends if you're looking for a seat it's one thing if you're looking for yeah. an employee that's you have to get past that yeah for yeah. sure well discernment's a, a good quality to pay attention to i mean we do have to choose really wisely where we put our energy and um but i can relate to that like quick judgment thing you know what i came to when i started singing about nine years ago and having to get on stage and realizing everybody's eyeballs were staring at me and you know looking out and it's like well how am i going to process this and and also be sharing my personal thoughts through song these are our it's my lyrics it's like singing my diary right and i made a decision i said you know what they're going to judge me one way or another. So why don't you just be yourself? Yeah. And if they don't like it, then there's your filter. You know? yeah. Yeah. So not that I, you know, every day just walk around with, oh, I'm not feeling judged today, you know, yeah. but <laughs> it was a good decision to yeah. make, I think, and say, you know what? And to also help, it helped me be more observant of my mind and how quickly I can go there. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, we constantly look yeah. somebody up and yeah. down and we're like sizing them up so to speak or yeah. Yeah. making us uh making assumptions about something you know right. um but a, it's good that you're aware because then you can observe and we can shift it yeah exactly there's a great quote related to your last point um there's a children's book called just only john and the last line is be yourself because somebody has to and you're closest yeah <laughs> i like that that's awesome um, let's see. Oh, what did you want to be? Well, you mentioned earlier when you were 10, you made yeah, the decision. Yeah, somewhere in there, yeah. You just know what I'm going to ask, remember. what you want to be when you grow up? Uh, well, yeah. actually, I was going to be a minister. And, and oh, you, uh, a like minister your father? Teacher, which is a type, not because of, well, I'm not, uh, there wasn't any pressure there, but, um, yeah. So I thought that, and then teacher, which is, they're related. Obviously. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
What is it about teaching that pulled you at t age 10? I find, I did, never could have said this before, but in uh, later in life, I've, I've, I've acknowledged that, in fact, the way I process information is to regurgitate it, is mm -hmm. to process it out. And I do that, and I, it came to me because I realized I'm doing it even if there's nobody there. Right. You know, it's, I don't literally talk out loud, but, you know, teaching a class how to do something, it's like that's the way I actually own that information. That's the way it, it makes sense to me. And so that's true for writing, and even, and I just realize, you know, if, if I'm, if, if I, for instance, if I read a technique in a book, mm. and then I sit down at the bench, and I'm pursuing, experimenting with that technique, I would, if, if you, thank God, it doesn't happen, but if there was a microphone in my brain, you would hear me explaining what I was doing. Can we start the Tim McCrite Brain Podcast? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's just the way, I mean, I presume from that that yeah. everybody has ways of processing. I mean, we know that there are Saying different ways of learning. You know, there's, there's some people learn better by seeing something and mm -hmm. some by feeling it and so on. Mm -hmm. um, and so one way that I learn and make sense of information is by processing it. And so teaching is a career that... Well, it's kind of like talking to a friend about a problem. Like, you're, you know, it's like mm. until if you just hold it all in, we don't really get to yeah, process. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and good. so, you know... It's, it's good to say things out loud. Mm -hmm. It helps you hear it differently and instead of just kind of trying to work it quiet, you know, yeah. silently. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And it also means that nobody will sit next to you on the plane yeah. it, talking out loud. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right, exactly. Hopefully, yeah. Um, let's see. What are you most grateful for right now? Oh, my wife, my family. Yeah. Tell me about your kiddos again. What are they up? To? Oh, well, your brother, your brother, your son's working with you. Um, yeah, yeah, he's working a little bit in the Bryn Morgan Press, but he's a painter. He's a street artist, urban artist, a muralist. Uh, lives in Barcelona, mm. Spain. He has a Brazilian Perfect. wife, and they have one child. And then I have a, my wife and I have a daughter, who um, is working with. Um, is working in the school system. I'm, I'm not sure what the right terminology is with with kids who need a little extra help. Mm. And she's completed her master's <coughs> in uh, in that field. That's a big undertaking. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. And she manages uh, her family with three kids and a husband. Wow. And does she live where is she now? She's outside of Boston. Oh, at Boston. Oh, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. So, um, Tim, if you could start over. I know this is a cliche question, but I want to ask it of you. If you could start over, what would you do? Would you do anything differently, or do you feel good about your, your oh. journey thus far? I've can't think of anything I'd do differently. Yeah. I feel absolutely blessed, fortunate. Yeah. yeah. I can't think of anything. Was there a turning point in your life where that just became the thing? It's like, no, I'm just, this life is good. And, uh, you know, hmm. if we can complain up to a certain age, and then I feel like we should cut ourselves off. Uh, that's interesting. <laughs> I don't remember that, but remember we talked about how I tend to, you know, yeah. slough things off? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I, I suspect, I mean, just I'm only human, and I suspect there were times that I was, you know, angry and depressed and, mm. and would have had a different answer to that. And I'm really, I'm, I'm just really honestly not aware of, of them. You know, I mm -hmm. just don't have them in my in my memory. Lucky. If they existed at all. So as, so as far as I can tell you, nope, yeah. no regrets. I certainly have no regrets sitting here today. That's awesome. Except for me asking you that question. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing your job. Talk to me about the Toolbox Initiative. Or talk to us a little. Share share with us about the tool, Toolbox Initiative that you started with Matthew Shimonea, um three years ago, 3.5 years ago? Uh, something like that, yeah, three and a half or four years ago. Um, well, the program is a volunteer, nonprofit, 
program that collects donated tools and materials in typically in North America and carries them to jewelers in West Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the that's the short version. Um, it came about because uh, Matthew, who um, is French-born and now Canadian, uh, lived for several years in Africa and has spent many years traveling back to Africa. And he's a jeweler um, and also a photographer. And so he put together um, a a book of you know excellent photographs and techniques. Approached me uh, to see what I would be interested in publishing his book. I said yes. Um, and he he had made he had a, he's very structured. He really came to this knowing exactly he had he had really basically figured out the book yeah. before we ever talked. So he said it's it's a bunch of techniques and I take a trip and I go and I commission jewelers to make a piece so that I can photograph that technique. And I do a bunch of different jewelers so everything. So he said there's one technique that I haven't got yet. The book is almost all written, but there's one technique that I haven't gone through that process so I'm going to be going back in a couple months you want to come along and I said yes which was one of the better decisions in my life and uh, so as we were uh, then he said well when I go I, I generally take some saw blades or some tools or whatever I can they really don't have much over there and so you know if I can I, I carry you know whatever I can scrounge up and if you you know you, you could do that if you want to so of course I thought of course I'll do that and did the same and it was on that trip um, that I said, you know, or we said, there's a limited supply that two guys are going to come up with. You know, we've only got so many saw blades that we can part with and so many old pairs of pliers and so on. But I said, I know the jewelry community is extremely generous. And um, I think if we put the word out there, mm -hmm. we could get some other people to pitch in on this and send us some tools. And that became the Toolbox Initiative. And it was, in, in some ways, it was really kind of walking down a street in Dakar, Senegal, and said, yeah, we could do this. And basically, that was the beginning. And then, you know, conversation oh, on the plane or, you know, waiting for the, the next flight or whatever. It's like, oh, we can, what are we going to call it? And who are we going to contact? And how is this going to work? Which I recall as being just kind of automatic and organic. You know, it wasn't a big deal. Like, well, we've got to have a website. And, well, mm -hmm. we're going to have a Facebook page. And we're going to have a, a this and a that. And mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's continued to evolve. And I think... I think our evolution is really one of our strengths in that we we know what we do, but the um, the how we do it is constantly shifting. Mm -hmm. um, and we've got, uh, and I, and I hope it always will be. You know, it's just it's it's a very much a, a living thing. This this program and um, it's a long term so project for you, isn't it? You're in vet. You guys are pretty. As far as I know, yeah, yeah, no end in sight. Yeah, there's no end to the need. And there's more and more people show uh, donating tools. It's been amazing. It's, yeah. been, it's just it's been thrilling. The uh, the stories there. Um, yes, we've we've gotten things that I never expected. Uh, can I tell a couple little yeah. anecdotes about it? Because sure. they and you know I'll probably choke up. But um, I was giving. We were at uh, Haystack Haystack Mountain School on, in Maine on the coast and. I was going to talk to my students about this. Uh, Matthew was, we were there teaching together, and um, so I, I wanted to show some photos and some videos. And so I said, you know, to the students, we had 15 or 14 students, and I said, let's take an hour or, you know, 45 minutes this afternoon, and, and we will go to the meeting room where there's actually, you know, video equipment, and now I can show you some things, and I'll talk about the Toolbox Initiative. And I thought, well, while I'm going to do this, I'll just mention it to go into a couple of the other studios and say, oh, so here's this thing, and, you know, we're going to be showing some stuff. And um, so it turned out probably there were 30 people or 40 people in the room, which I didn't expect at all. It really was in my head. It was just 
we wanted to share this with the students. Mm. Um, but that, of course, it was great that we had some people coming from the you know the fiber department and the wood department or whatever they wanted to do that. Um, so we gave our little talk and showed some pictures and said, this is what we're doing. And um, and three ladies um, came up to me um, afterward, and uh, they were they kind of shuffled up. They were so shy, and one person, they, they first the lead person said, well, I'm, I'm not a jeweler, but I'd like to donate. Is that okay? And I said, well, yeah, sure. And uh, she sort of sheepishly grabbed my hand and pressed something into it, and it was, uh, and, and then walked away. I said thanks, and I looked at it, and it was a hundred-dollar bill, which was, you know, pretty great. Well, that happened again with a second lady, and the third lady kind of apologetically said, "Well, I don't have any cash here. Can I send you a check?" So <laughs> I said, "Yeah." Um, and a week or two later, she sent a check, a very generous check, with a sweet note, and she said, "I, uh, I'm kind of glad that I didn't have that check with me because, for the next week, the more I thought about it, the more." I fell in love with the idea, and so I'm, I'm giving you more money than I than I would have if on that day. Wow. So isn't that sweet? I mean, it's just fantastic. I got a note from a, 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 a an envelope showed up, a little scrap of paper in it with a handwritten note and a $20 bill. Wow. And it was a, a sort of sketchy handwriting, and a guy said, um, I'm not a jeweler, I'm a poet, but I really admire what you're doing. I am a retired man living on a... Uh, fixed income, and I wish I had more, but here's what I can give. Wow. What did you say to it? Well, we've done a couple of um, little mini fundraisers at the school yeah. for the Toolbox Initiative because I just love this. I, I'm not in a position to come with, to Africa right now, you know, with the responsibilities of the school and my kiddos, and but down the road I would absolutely love to. And donating to the Toolbox Initiative, I think, is a way, Tim put it best, we were talking about, he said it's a way to give through us, <laughs> right? Like, let us be the mule, so to speak. Yeah. Literally, yeah. I mean, you guys are backpacking tools mm -hmm. to a country that really, it's packed full of jewelers, as far as I understand. Yeah, oh, yeah. And yeah. these guys are working with at, with bare bones. If you guys haven't seen the videos, um, Matthew's also a cinematographer. I would say he's got yeah. a really good eye for photography mm -hmm. and film, and he has filmed a lot of the demonstrations that they're, they're doing and sharing um, with those that are coming over with Tim and Matthew at the same time and just that sharing of techniques looks like it's so much fun. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And wh where are those videos are going to be on Facebook, um, YouTube? YouTube, there's a channel called Toolbox Initiative and um, yeah, up to 100,000 views. It says. Yeah, you need to subscribe to this so you can, because yeah. every time they go, they're, they're documenting um, new tech, new little demonstrations and uh, just all the smiles, like yeah. everybody's just so happy. Yeah. Oh, they are. They're wonderful. The, the people there, um, by our standards, they don't have very much, and the, so if we had even you know much more than they have, we'd be grumbling about it. But we, you yeah. just don't hear that there. You just don't hear it. They're, they're joyful, fun-loving people. Just mm -hmm. across the board, it's just been terrific. Working with their feet, with just I mean, really basic, basic yeah. setup. Uh, it yeah. it seems like it's really fascinating to watch, especially the engraving work and the inlay. It's like how are we how are they achieving that without the lapidary machine and all yeah. of the things yeah. you know. I mean, when it's, you know, a word we use, we overuse is, uh, it's unbelievable, uh -huh. but it is true when you, you watch this and when you just see a little snippet of it and you think, come on, yeah. you know, what, you, you know, it's editing going on or something. And then we say, yeah, he did that and that took an hour. And think, wait a minute, that was a two-day process, right? You're kidding. And right. No, it, it, I was there. That, I saw him start and I saw him finish. It was an hour. Yeah. And it's like, 
unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Just fast and furious, but yeah. also yeah. just, yeah, practicing with minimal minimal setup, I guess. Yeah. Well, and you know, I want to make a point too about, as yeah. you said, the doning, the, don the donations, um, the donorationing, the, don don <laughs> the, the donoration. Don yeah. Um, it's a generation of donoration. One other thing that, that certainly speaks that, that I can speak to personally, but I've, I've heard from other people, is uh, sometimes there, there are some bad days in, in our political climate, our cultural climate. There's, it, it's, you turn on the news, it's not hard to get depressed. Right. And it is hard to sort of dig your way out of that and think, what can I do about these, these vast problems, you know, uh, global warming and, and mm -hmm. political discourse or lack of discourse, um, and on and on. And it can, it can really be overwhelming. And so... Um, there are many good things to do, and I don't want to say Toolbox Initiative is unique among them, but whether it's, you know, helping out at the local soup kitchen or buying a book for the library or mm -hmm. sending tools to us, um, whatever it is, there's that feeling of like, wow, that was, you know, that was helpful. Well, giving is, giving back is a big deal. Yeah. I think it, it um, and if everybody were doing that, imagine yeah. if everybody you Good know point. especially those with millions and billions of dollars that are you know yeah. donating to things that may not make sense may, may or maybe aren't helping on a grander scale yeah but i just think that would be it would be a much easier world to live in and a lot less poverty and all of that as well, well I, and i like this idea that uh, there is this this notion that you sort of touched on which is that philanthropy is something for millionaires you know once, right. you, once you get all the money you'll ever need then you can give it away then donate and um that's fine all, any millionaires listening you know <laughs> but but the fact is you don't have to be a rockefeller to be a philanthropist right um, there's a, uh, a program, and I think it's I think the Facebook page is Do Something for Nothing, which is great. Do something for nothing. Mm -hmm. And um, this particular one I'm thinking of is a barber who, uh, I think he's in London, uh, Britain anyway, and uh, he would um, take, uh, every week he'd go out on the street and he would give a haircut to some homeless people. And maybe, you know, shave or haircut. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so, it, they're so wonderful to watch. And this was his thing, just... You know, it's nothing. Yeah. He's not investing. He's investing his time. He's giving his time. But he's mostly he's paying attention. He's, he talks to a person and he has a conversation with them. And he says, how do you like to wear your hair? And so, mm -hmm. I don't know. How, how did you used to wear it? And, and so you see these transformations. And it's that, that respect of an individual. So, mm -hmm. yeah, do something for nothing. Yeah, yeah. It's really a, a great unifier, too, I think, to do something like that for someone else. And uh, oh, yeah. Let's, let's keep putting that out there, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> we need that. You also do a, a program for senior citizens where you live, right? I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's such a cool thing. You want yeah. to share that a little sure, bit? About that? Sure, sure. I I live in a little town on the coast of Maine. It's called Harpswell. Um, it, it Harp Maine is statistically the oldest state in meaning its population. Our our median median age is of all the 50 states. We have we have the most old timers, mm -hmm. and um, I love this uh, borrowing something from. Um, a, friend a uh, politician and he said this is this is not a problem to be solved this is a challenge to be met mm. let's let's get busy and do this and so as a state there's a good bit of activity in this and mike turns out harpswell is the oldest of the towns of this size in the state so we're the oldest town in the oldest state and um so a program was started um i'll volunteer um, and we, we do, it's called Harpswell Aging at Home, and the idea is we're going to help people stay in their houses. That's what people want to do. You know, this, this been, our culture tends to farm people off. Go back far enough, it was, it was the family structure. You know, you, 
your parents moved in with you and your grandparents and so on. But in our culture nowadays, that doesn't happen. People are, families are scattered geographically and so on. Mm. So um, through the, I don't know, 50s, 60s, 70s, we developed a culture of nursing homes, uh, retirement villages and so on. And uh, nothing wrong with those per se, but I think given a choice, most people would say, not yet. You know, I would love to stay in my house as long as I can. Mm. So this volunteer group, um, one aspect of it, there are a number of activities, and the one that I participate in is the home repair crew. So we uh, we come in and we make a house more livable. Our, our goal is to make a, keep our neighbors warm, safe, and dry. So anything that will do that. So we come in after be of a certain age and a certain income level, m- most of which is very easy to meet, um, and. So we come in and do an inspection, and um, we say, well, the windows need to be tightened, and you need to smoke the tar- smoke alarm. We do a lot of grab bars and uh, handrails to make things safe, mm-hmm. um, and whatever it, whatever it takes. And it turns out we have a budget, an average of $1,500. We got grant money to buy the materials. All the workers, of course, volunteers. Um, but um, we can spend up to $1,500, and it turns out the average cost of a nursing home is $5,000 a month. So. Uh, just just leaving aside the fact people want to stay where they have spent their last 30 years, they, where their neighbors are, where they know where their doctor is and so on, they want to stay there. But even putting that aside, just from a, a, only a financial point of view, mm. I think we can invest $1,500 and uh, you know save thousands of dollars for the community or the healthcare system, whatever it is. And it's fun. So it's you know it's a bunch of guys, most retired guys, and. Um, we get together and we, we, we make their homes uh, more efficient, more fuel efficient. Mm. I mean, we've had people who say, I, I just cite one case where a woman, when we came in, she had, she was on oxygen full time, 24 hours a day. She was on oxygen because of problems in her house, mold and other things. Mm. And um, when I happened to run into her like six months later and she said, I don't have oxygen anymore. I'm warm all winter. Um, I can go outdoors. I can, uh, the doors work. and." Uh, Wow. Yeah. It's just transformative. And it's, we're just having a good time one day a week. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you consider yourself retired? Mm, I, I'm slowly working into the phrase semi-retired. Semi-retired. I I used to do, um, the business, the the publishing business, I divided into sort of three chunks and Mm -hmm. farmed, uh, one of them out to a company and, and a third to my son and kept a third to myself. So, uh, I can legitimately say what it doesn't change. I mean, I basically go to the same place at the same time every day. Um, so in that sense, I'm not retired, but I I, uh, I don't feel I have to. Yeah. I just want to. I just get up and think, what else am I going to do? So. What did somebody say the other a uh, few weeks ago? There was a student who said, "I'm retire. I'm not retiring. It's pref- it's not retirement. It's preferment." Like, I'm going to do what I choose now and yeah. not feel obligated to do things, you know, to create income or what have you. Yeah, yeah. Preferment. And so, like, this, yeah. you know, this this um, Thursday's working with the home repair crew is certainly a piece of that. Yeah. That's really cool, Tim. You're like Mr. Philanthropist. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think so. I think it's just a regular guy. And, yeah, and, yeah, and doing what you can to yeah. give back. Yeah. Well, we appreciate all your contributions to this craft. And um, do you have any up-and-coming news you want to share or any, any projects in the works? That we should that we can get a sneak peek on. Well, um, uh, Matthew has just finished his second book, which is on stamping, and it's dynamite. Um, I'm putting it together now, doing the layout, so I'm very excited about that. And I think I will say this: I'm not trying to make this a you know an, an ad for the book. 
fell away. Uh, We're all really? About, we oh, can do that now. Sure. It, uh, it, I it's, uh, the Art of Stamping by Matthew Chamonix. It should be out in uh, late 2019. Um, but what I really like about it, and this is um, certainly you know this from his first book, Legacy, Jewelry Techniques of West Africa. It's a um, great book. I, I say this really as a, as, as, you know, a reverent compliment because um, it was always important to him when he was showing techniques um, who was doing it. And so that book and this book have uh, profiles. And you don't see this in technical books. You know, it's like, here's here's a guy and he's doing a thing, right? That's it. Right. And in Matthew's book, here's a guy and he's doing his thing. Oh, let's meet the guy. Here's his name. Here's his story. Here's where he came from. And he, uh, he records these. You know, he, he, he makes a, uh, he takes it very seriously. He'll mm -hmm. sit down for an interview. He'll record this. You know, get the story straight. He, he um, you know, so this book, like that one, has um, fascinating stories of, of people who use stamping, jewelry stamping, uh, in ways I'd never seen before. It's just a real eye-opener for me. I'm, I'm very excited about it. Mm -hmm. and, and I think, again, I think it, it really, it gives the book a, a, a richness, and like, as it does with Legacy, and it, it will in this new book, it gives a richness and a personal, and, and it's appropriate. I mean, this is what we should be doing, and is recognizing our peeps, you know, recognizing the masters in the field. Yeah. Um, and they have names, you know, and they have stories, and they have histories, yeah. and yeah. Um, we haven't been a, as good at recognizing that, and particularly for people who aren't necessarily famous in the conventional sense. These right. the people we're talking about here probably aren't going to appear in magazines. They're not going to be, you know, on the cover of magazines or interviewed on TV or anything like that. These are mm -hmm. um, they're they're master craftsmen, but they tend to work somewhat, you know, under the radar. Mm. And uh, I think it's really terrific that that his book gives them the, the, the credibility in the audience that they deserve. I love that. And, I, you know, it's kind of my intention of this, this podcast is to share the individuals and their, what their journey was like and really hope it, hopefully to level the playing field a little, level that, find that common ground with somebody who just might be very a very beginner and they're looking at your book and looking at you as this person that's untouchable or like, they may want to just even talk to you a little bit. And so the ho my hope is that this is a little bit of a, a peek into the, the personalities and the makers and the creators mm -hmm. and the, you know, the legends of the craft, but also the newer and the up and coming and, Good. you know, keeping it very broad. So we realize that we have a lot of common threads. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've been doing this 20 years, but it, I'm still on that level of a beginner in my eyes. And um, so anyway, um, thank you for sharing and always being so open and approachable it's um, my privilege. Yeah, thank you to for those. inviting me. I remember when I first saw you at Snag. I was like, "That's somebody said that's Tim McCrite," <laughs> and I said, "Well, I could never walk up to Tim McCrite, you know." And then once we know. got to know each other, it's like he's like my brother, you know. Oh my gosh, so easy to to. So don't be scared, guys. Um, talk to your tr like communicate with your tribe. Absolutely. Reach out. Use us as resources and. Um, you know, we've been through through a lot of the journey already, and we still have a long way to go. We can learn from each other in all kinds of ways as we move onward and upward. Great. Anything you want to leave us with, Tim? Another great mantra, one line. <laughs> I know you have a ton. Yeah. No, I got nothing. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Um, talk to you next time. Thank you so much, Tim. We're going to go hop some galleries here in Chicago and uh, tune in for the next one. Thank you all for joining me for this episode of For the Love of Jewelers, brought to you by Rio Grande Jewelry Supply, honored to serve our vibrant industry since 1944. 
If you enjoyed this episode, and we hope you did, you can find a digital download by visiting riograndecom keyword podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share this with fellow movers and shakers, and please feel free to add any comments or questions below. I'm Courtney Gray, and until next time, onward and upward.